message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 is maybe a familiar passage if you've been around church some or even a lot. Uh, you may have recognized this as something that is, could be familiar that you've read before. We want to look at it in light of the Lord's Supper today as we would come and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be really focusing on, on verses 14 through 16. A uh, question for you this morning. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Now, there's two kinds of misunderstood. Some is the misunderstood that maybe communication just didn't happen correctly. That happens a lot in in marriages. It happens a lot in homes between parents and children. That, you know, words were used, and yet maybe communication really didn't take place. And so there's a misunderstanding. But the kind of misunderstood that I talk about today is, is really one of those that reaches down deeper. It kind of goes down to the soul. Have you ever felt really kind of alone and a hurt? alone in a pain, alone in kind of a, a wonderment, and that even your spouse, even the one, even if you've been married 20, 30, 40 years, that even they just didn't quite get it. And you just really felt kind of isolated. See, there's that one misunderstood that just maybe we need to talk it out and communicate and even write it down. But there's this other misunderstood that sometimes comes, and I really believe that it comes from the frailty that we're fallen people in a fallen world, But also, I really think that it's part of the spiritual warfare that Satan uses against us. Because one of the things that Satan would love for us to do is feel misunderstood, that nobody understands. Because there's something that happens, since that's more of a soul thing, it happens deep within us. It's not just a mental, it's not just an emotion, but it's something really deep down in our core that we just feel alone. We just feel like nobody else kind of gets us in this moment. I believe that Satan uses that because it produces two things in our lives, separation and then isolation. When we don't feel like anybody really gets us, we start to separate. And as we separate, we we isolate. And, And I promise you guys that as we look through the biblical record and we see all that God has put there as instruction for our lives and as just his covenants and all those things, He's always one that's there for inclusion, and he's always building us around a people that were his people. He didn't have to make a people, but because of his love and because of knowing this frailty, he gives us family, and he gives us a church family so that we don't feel isolated. And yet, have you ever been in a room of 100 people and you really did feel like you were the only one there? I mean, totally isolated? It's a weird feeling, and I think many of you, I think most of us have experienced that before at some point in our life, and it really isn't just a mental thing. It's not just a feeling. It really is kind of down deep in our soul. Well, this morning I'm going to look at this passage because knowing that this is one of our frailties, knowing that Satan really wants to to, to put us in a place of separation and, and isolation, I want you to see what Christ has done so that we really can come through and, and say, well, you know, maybe nobody else understands. Maybe even my spouse doesn't understand. Maybe my best friend doesn't understand. But I know that there is one who does truly get this, that truly does understand. When we're confronted and challenged by this isolation and separation that can come from just not being understood, there's an answer that the Bible gives us. 
there's this role that we see that God developed in the Old Testament called the high priest. He is the representative. He's kind of the mediator, the go-between between man and God, sinful man and holy God. And he played a very important part. But we get into the New Testament and we see this revelation that Christ is the ultimate high priest. He's the ultimate mediator. He's the one that bridges the gap between sinful man and a holy God. By dying on the cross for all those that would place their trust and belief in him, he would take their sins and he would give forgiveness of those sins. It's an important concept that is there in the New Testament in light of what God wrote in the Old Testament. That's what the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about. There's times that going to be in our, in our lives, guys, that, that we really, we're not ready to turn from the faith. We're not ready to say, okay, I don't just believe in God anymore. I'm just ready to abandon the faith. Uh, I'm ready to say that there's, I, I don't even know that there really is a God. Very few of us will ever get to that place spiritually. I'm not saying that it can't happen. And I'm not saying that it won't happen in, in a small number. But most of the warfare that you and I are confronted with is not abandonment of the faith. It's just being tired in our faith. That's where the Hebrews were. When Christianity began to kind of get a pushback from the government and others around there, there were a lot of people that were in the Christian church that were of the faith and it got kind of really tiring and, and they wanted something as they were tired in their faith in this new experience, experience of Christianity. And there were a lot of Jewish believers that came to know Christ and they said, you know, in one way the Jewish life was a little bit easier because we could almost do that remotely. We could almost do that just kind of get up, do these things, keep the law, go to bed. And, and we can kind of do that out of actions instead of just attitudes of the heart. That's why a works mentality really is very appealing to most religions. In fact, for the most part, the Christianity is the only uh, religion in the world that is not works-related. We, we're grace-related. We know that it's only the work of Christ that saved us. But you look at any other religion, and it always comes back to man's works, because in one way, we like that. It's kind of on our shoulders. I can get up. I can pray five times a day facing this way. I can do this. I can give this amount to the church. I can do these moral things. And it's kind of on my shoulders. And and there's a part of that, guys, that that really appeals to us because we're the ones in control. But I promise you that was never a burden that God wanted us to have. In our minds, we think if we do enough of those works, then we can actually work our way to God. God said, no, that's an impossibility. It still blows my mind. It's still kind of hard for me, even though I theologically accept that, uh, this next principle. I accept it, but it's still kind of hard to believe. But if you only did one sin your entire life, and none of us have ever done one sin in our entire life. Well, we do one sin maybe by the hour, a thought, an attitude, uh, an action. But even if we did one sin our entire life, and we live to be 90 years old, would we earn righteousness in God's eyes? No. Even that one sin would keep us from a holy God. Now, that's inconceivable for us to ever have just one sin in the amount of 90 years, uh, but it's hard for us to kind of grasp how, oh, man, that's a really, really, really good person. 
And yet we find out through the biblical record, through the testimony and through the the power of the gospel that we could never be good enough. That's what the Hebrews were going through. They wanted to go back to this kind of works mentality, kind of, okay, if we just do all the right things, then maybe we can get back into kind of a ritual. And, And, you know, we like routines this next week. Many of you are going to be off because your teachers or your students or your this or your company has called the, the week off. And, and we like a break from the routine. Do you like a break from the routine? But is there comfort in the routine? Yeah. We're funny people. I had this conversation the other day. I said, isn't it strange that when we get into the rat race of life, we're just going, going, and going, and going, and then all of a sudden there's a forecast, and there's a possibility of snow. What do we do? Man, (laughs) it's like snow, good. And, you know, we hope that maybe we're just in our home with our family for a day or two. And Because that's different from the routine. That doesn't happen a lot in Georgia. And we're going, man, that's just going to be fun to be. We'll just kind of close the doors. We'll start the fire. And we're just going to kind of, you know, be in here. 24, if not 36, 48 hours into that, how many of you have complete, uh, you know, the, the cabin is getting really small at that point? And you're going, I just want to go to the store. For what? I don't care. I just want to go to the store. Aren't we funny people? We long for a break from the routine. And once that break comes, and all of a sudden we're kind of confined to, to this, all of a sudden we're going, okay, I, I want to get back. I, I, I want to have my freedom. I want to be able to go and do as I choose. We're funny people. And when it comes to our spirituality, there is a part of us, guys, that we love, that there is no earning of salvation, that it's all the work of Christ and only Christ. We love that. And yet there's a part of us, I, I promise all of us have, a little bit of this tendency that if I do the right things, if I go to church, if I say my prayers, if I do these things, then God must look kind of favorably upon me. And in reality, we have nothing to offer God. Nothing at all except for our sin. There was only one way that God could, or one way that he has redeemed this lost mankind to him, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I say all that because there's two different kind of principles going on here. One, we, we talked about how we just kind of feel misunderstood. We kind of, that way kind of gets us sometimes. That even your husband or your wife doesn't maybe fully get a mood or an emotion or something that's going on in your life. And then we talked about a spiritual principle of how Christ alone is our only means of salvation. Both of those come into play as we come to this table today. There's going to be some things that the closest person in the world, your, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, They just don't get. And yet we find this passage in Hebrews 4.14 that begins to tell us about a Christ who's come to earth and experienced every temptation, everything that we will ever face in our lives so that we would never be able to say, well, you know, nobody completely understands me. There is one who gets you. Uh, Look at Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest. And who is that high priest? It is Christ, okay? Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. See that term, hold fast? 
That's what, the, that's what the Hebrews were being challenged with. They were actually ready to let go. Instead of holding fast, they were going to let go. Not let go that they thought that there wasn't a God. They weren't going to abandon their, their whole theology and their whole belief in God. What they were going to let go of is that Christ was sufficient for their life and go back to maybe a little bit more of this works, and you know, we just need to do all the right things to get the pleasure of God. So what does the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who that is. I have my personal opinions. I think it was Paul or one of his contemporaries, but we don't know that. We're never told. Ultimately, it's God's word. He's the one who has inspired the entire word of God. So even if Paul or Peter or John are the ones kind of writing down, it's God still, his Holy Spirit's just inspiring it. So we can say this is God's word. So in one way, it doesn't matter who the author is because the ultimate author is God. And here's what God said. When you don't feel like anybody gets you, and sometimes you don't even get yourself, Hold fast. Hold fast. For there is one who understands. Look at the connection that the altar makes. We hold fast. Why? Since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That, that passing through the heavens is a mention of victory. That Christ was buried and he was put into a, a, a grave and then he was put behind the tomb that we sing about this morning. But then he rose again from that grave. And then he ascended days later to victory. And he's there at the Father's side now. The altar is saying, this is a finish, this is a victorious song. Because he has had victory, and he's no longer in the grave, he's not defeated, he has in fact defeated death and grave. And now he's sitting by the Father. That's why you can hold fast. See, sometimes we need to know the end of the story so that we're in, we're in the midst of the story, we can kind of get it. I mean, when we sing songs and it says, and we've been there 10,000 years, I mean, is that pretty exciting to you? I did a funeral a couple weeks ago, and they played an old spiritual song about crossing the river. We don't have a whole bunch of modern songs that talk about crossing the river, but that used to be a pretty big theme in a lot of old spiritual songs about crossing the river, crossing the Jordan. You're going from this life to the life eternal. And they played that song. And I probably had not heard that song in 5, 10, 15 years. And my heart overflowed. I was going, man, one day I'm going to cross that river. And there was an excitement. That's why we can hold fast because the victory has already been won. He points it back not to us being able to accomplish by good works and by being obedient to the law. He said, that has failed. You failed at that. And so when they want to let go, he says, you hold fast to this finished work. Hold fast. You feel kind of lost. You kind of feel confused. You, kind of, you, you, you have had better spiritual times in the past than what you're presently having. And you wonder where all that's coming from? He said, man, you hold fast to the finished work of Christ. I've told you this. We've, we've talked about it a thousand times before. Spiritual life, guys, is a roller coaster. And there are highs and there are lows. And even the most faithful people. Do you think Billy Graham, you know, he's kind of the, this you know, character of 
American Christianity or, you know, what it looks like to be this wonderful Christian. Do you think Billy Graham ever had spiritual lows? Yeah, read his book sometime. Have him talk about some of the early years of his son, Franklin Graham, when, his, when Franklin was just a rebel against the things of God. And it broke his father's heart. Did he turn away from his faith during that time? Did he say, I don't believe in God? No, he didn't abandon his faith, but he didn't hold fast sometimes because there's those times that he was just challenged in his faith. And he had to be reminded that the victory isn't something that he wins. It's the victory was the Lord's, and he's already won it. I mean, sometimes we just... Have you ever had that really spiritual grandma or granddad? And they were just this... You know, my, my grandma and my granddad were two of the most spiritual people that I know. Just wonderful representations of what it means to follow Christ in simplicity. And yet I can only imagine that there were times in their lives when they didn't doubt God. They just wondered. Deep in their soul, does anybody even get me? Because they were going through things that were just really, really nobody else. Even grandma and granddad couldn't talk to, other, to each other maybe during those times. I say that because look at the next verse. He starts talking about this victory that Christ has won, and then he makes it very intimate. And he says, he calls Christ again this great high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Sometimes I think that we do an injustice to that verse, and that we regulate it only to sinfulness and temptation. And I think that it's much broader than that. It's, it is very much that we're never going to face a temptation in our life and say, well, nobody else had to ever face that. No, God faced through Christ every temptation, every temptation that's ever been had and, and yet remains sinless. And he's won the victory. But I think if we just isolate it to that and that alone, then we're kind of doing an injustice because this high priest idea of this one who can sympathize with us is that on every level of our fiber and our being, down to our spirit and our soul and everything about us, that God, because he put on flesh and he walked this earth, there's nothing that we could ever come and bring before him and say, oh God, you just don't understand. Well, Pastor, I, you know, Jesus was never a father. So he can't really understand when I'm going something with my children. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three in one, the Trinity. Somehow we think that we're going to face something that's apparent that God the Father didn't face as his son was dying on the cross. Really, guys? We have this great high priest who understands everything. Yes, the temptations. Yes, the friction of life. Wanting to let go instead of hold fast. He gets that, but he gets so much more. In a world where more and more I feel misunderstood. Maybe because I'm not explaining myself well. Maybe because I'm getting older and I just feel so isolated from this world sometimes and and different thoughts and trends and this, that, and the other. There's always going to be this one who gets me. What it says. When Satan tries to, 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 to sell us this lie that nobody understands, God tells us the truth that 
Christ completely understands. Why? Because he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. Because he faced every temptation that you and I would ever face and he would have victory. And he did so in a way that was victorious. He goes through the clouds in that victory. Look at verse 16. The author makes these points and then he draws a conclusion. The Bible is so fit. This is the writing style of so many of the, the, the biblical authors is that they say, okay, here's the truth. Here's the situation. Here's the truth. Now here's the, the action you do in completion of that. And so they use this word, therefore, a whole bunch in the Bible. Here's the situation. Here's the spiritual principle. And here's a therefore. Here's how you go out. And sometimes they change the words. This is, there's not a therefore here, but basically it's the same thing when it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's a conclusion of this God who clothed himself in flesh, dwelt among us, faced every temptation. The conclusion is you have a place to go. You have a Savior who is victorious. When you feel like nobody understands, you have one who understands. But it's not just that you feel better because somebody understands. No, you can go to that person in confidence. This was so big in the New Testament because this was the exact opposite of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, they didn't even want to say the name of God because they thought, man, if we say the name of God, God may strike us down. I mean, there was levels of separation. Remember the tabernacle? Only these people could go in here. And then only if you were a priest could you go here. And then only if you were on the high priest, one day of the day could you go in there. And then even then, you couldn't go to a certain place. I mean, it was restriction. There was walls. There was, you know, things that were barriers. And here this author is saying, look, there is no barrier anymore. That Christ and his death has taken down all the barriers. And because of what he has done with his flesh and his blood, what is represented today as we come and we would take this Lord's Supper, those barriers are gone. But it's more than that we just have entrance to heaven. The intimacy of this passage, folks, is that we can draw near. See, it's one thing if God just came and he sent his son Jesus and Jesus did all the work and we get to go to heaven one day. I mean, that's great. It's wonderful. Sure is better than the alternative. But that doesn't address by itself the intimacy that God desires to have with us. That intimacy that even can be there and understand and have sympathy and empathy for those things that your husband and your wife and your best friend doesn't even understand. And he said, here's the confidence that you can have. That even when you feel like nobody quite gets you, nobody else quite understands, nobody else has a grasp of what you're feeling down inside, that you have a high priest who is able to sympathize you on every level. Why? Because he's walked this earth. He clothed himself in flesh. He dwelt among us. He died. He rose again in victory. And that's why we come to this table. It's one of the many reasons we come to reflect on what has happened, but to anticipate that he is coming back. But I, I share this passage with you today in reflection of the Lord's Supper. Because I, 
honestly, I, th- I think there's a lot of times in life that we go through and we're going, okay, God, I just don't know that anybody gets me. I, I don't know that I get myself. I, I don't know that I understand. I, I love you, and yet there's times that I don't even want to follow you. And there's times that you know I, I believe in you, and yet there's times that I act like an unbeliever. We're just really mixed up folks sometimes, guys. And I don't say that in a critical way except for an observant way, that we just sometimes, man, I want it to snow, I want it to snow, I want it to snow. 24 hours into it, I can't wait for the snow to be gone because I'm getting stir-crazy. We're people that just, we're never quite satisfied with the present situation, always looking for something. And that's one thing when it's external. But what about when it's internal? And it is your soul. It's your very spirit. And you just have tough questions. And you have emotions. You have thoughts. And you have different things that you struggle with. This morning as we come to this table, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him with your salvation, as you come this morning, you are to reflect back in the work that is done. That's why we take that which is symbolic of his his body, and his blood that was spilt for us. And it is an anticipation of what will happen one day when that trumpet blows and, 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 and the sky parts and, and Christ comes. But folks, there's a present application to every time we come to this table. And that is that we have a great high priest who gets us, that loves us, that says, hold fast when you feel like letting go. Later on in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, we read this and then we'll come and observe the the Lord's Supper. We see almost a mirror image of of what was discussed in chapter 4. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, again, we see another therefore. Brothers, since we have this confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened up through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. What an invitation. Holy God, extending to you, draw near. Isn't that kind of amazing that Holy God would invite you to draw near to Him? How humbling is that? Holy God, sovereign God, said, I sent my Son to do all the work. For what purposes? So that you could draw near. So that you could hold on when you want to let go that you could know that in this very ever-changing world that there are things that are solid and true. What a blessing God has given us to be able to come today. For those that are new to our church or this is the first time that you've ever experienced Lord's Supper with us in a, in a corporate fashion, uh, we, we do it in a couple of different ways this morning. Um, we just invite you to come to the table. You can come with your family. If you're here with a family and you have a family leader, a man, if you can lead your family in that. Um, we will not take it all together at the same time. You'll take uh, this that is representing of, of 
Christ's body and, and then dip it into uh, the juice there that is representing his blood. And you can say a prayer and then you can just take that. And so we don't have a formal way where we're all corporately together at one time and to take it like you might be used to if we passed out those elements. You're going to be doing it very personal, individually, or as a family this morning. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a brother and sister. If you truly have put your faith in his finished work, then you are a brother and sister, and we invite you to come to the table today if you desire. This time, let me lead us into a prayer, and, uh, and then you can come and take the Lord's Supper today. Father God, will you, will you never stop amazing us? That you, holy God, know us on such a personal level because you dwelt in flesh, you clothed yourself in flesh and dwelt among us. You faced every circumstance that we would ever face, Father, and yet remained sinless and victorious. Father, today, for those things in our life that we just want to let go and turn, <laughs> help us to hold fast. By the power of Christ, help us to hold fast. And Father, for those times that we want to turn away, we thank you that there's an invitation to draw near. So Father, we thank you for the beauty of, uh, of in a moment like this when we can worship you uh, through the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you and we reflect the past victory we anticipate the future return of your son. And Father, we just thank you that we can have this time of worship today. We love you, we thank you, and we ask your blessings upon this time of worship as we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.